Welcome to Scholars and Sense. It's the podcast that takes a deep dive into the issues of the day. We do so with thoughtful conversation, and we rise above the noise and talking points. With the help of my colleagues, we get to the heart of the matter. I'm Bill Bennett, alongside my co-hosts, Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson. Conrad, Victor, let's jump in. Let's talk about Afghanistan. Yeah. Is, it true, is it true that no one has ever successfully prevailed in Afghanistan? I believe oh. that is true because both the, I mean, the only people who tried were the Russians and the British, and they, the British came to the conclusion uh, that, that there was not enough in Afghanistan to justify the, the terrible inconvenience of, of dealing with all these fierce tribes and mountainous but don't you think that the third Afghan war they controlled the plains? I think. Yeah, but but they 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 concluded that it it really it was a poor country. It was landlocked, and it, it well on the on a map it looked like a good thing to add to that vast British Indian okay. Empire that stretched all the way to Burma. Uh, it it just wasn't worth their investment. But they, but they had a pretty stable government from was it after World War One. Yeah, well, he had that king. What was it, Idris yeah. or whatever his name was? Yeah, and he, until until the Russians overthrew him in seventy three or four, or maybe it was seventy nine. That succession, but the, Alexander the Great occupied it for two hundred and fifty years, but it was all the plains. They didn't go up in the mountains. Yeah, so but Alexander the Great, you know, it, it became this part of the Seleucid succession yeah. to him, as you know, and, uh, yeah. and, and, and the Seleucid himself married the Bactrian, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah, it was called ancient Bactria. That was the Punjab and yeah. Afghanistan. Well, you know, may, maybe if, uh, maybe if, uh, George W. Bush had been a single man and gone and married the Miss Afghanistan or something, it would have gone better. But, uh, I think uh, the problem uh, is that we've got a couple of million out of the 30. 5 million or whatever there is that are completely in the last 20 years westernized. Yeah. And they're going to be, you know, det- detained, killed. I don't know what they're going to do to them, but it's not. Well, are we resigned to the to Taliban taking over everything? I mean, can't, can't yeah. the government hold any part of that? Country? I don't think so. I, I, don't, I, think, I, don't, I don't understand. Think we, ha- we haven't had ground operations since 2014. It's been air support with 5,000 troops. Trump What's been- the- then we was, can continue it. Was, that was like yeah, it was sustainable. Kissinger it was, formula for Vietnam. If it, you can, if you can maintain the air support from a neighboring country, if you want. The problem right. was they never informed us. You know, they never. The military and the State Department never said these were the cost. Twenty five hundred dead, twenty three hundred dead, twenty thousand wounded, a trillion dollars, and this was the benefits. It was terrorist free and it was functional, and while it. We'd like it to look like South Korea. It probably will look more like Iraq, but it will not look like Vietnam. We won't get it. And if they had said that, Biden wouldn't have 60, what, 63% support for getting out entirely. I don't think President Trump's much different on this one. Yeah, he flipped, he flipped though. He kept 4,000 troops in and air support. Uh, but he uh, said lately, most lately, he said uh, he's waiting too long. Get him out now. Get him out yeah. now. So I don't know if this if this bears on anything, but after the fall of the, the Berlin Wall and all, I went around town just like a college student because my my knowledge and history of you know Afghanistan and other areas isn't so great as as yours. You guys just demonstrated as great as yours. But um, I asked people what was the pivotal event here that brought down the Soviet Empire. I got some interesting answers: um, Reagan, Thatcher, uh, and the Pope uh, meeting together. Pope going to Krakow or going to Warsaw, 
kissing the ground, uh, uh, other things. But then two people said to me, uh, selling Stinger missiles to the Mujahideen, that uh, our sale of those Stinger missiles helped drive out the Russians, the Soviets. Yes. And the Soviet bo- body bags were, uh, were piling up. Go ahead. Did you ever read that essay by the late Christ- Christopher Hitchens on that? It was a counterintuitive why we should have backed the Russians in Afghanistan because compared to what the Taliban became, uh, a Russian province would have been no worse. Brzezinski got a little carried away telling the Taliban they were doing God's work. I mean, it was fine to shoot down the Russian helicopters, but we we, we might have gone a little overboard with, with yeah. them. But may I just be devil's advocate for one second? If I may just put this out there, I think there is something to be said for the theory that it really is no great concern of the United States who governs Afghanistan or how they do it, with two exceptions. It, it, it must not become a breeding ground for terrorist activity again, the way it was prompting the initial entry 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago, about 20 years ago. And secondly, we do, I think the United States and the West generally has to protect those who are, as Victor said a few minutes ago, are going to be extremely vulnerable if the Taliban does take over. But short of that, I don't think we, uh, you know, what do we care who governs in Afghanistan and how they govern? Well, I think to your conclusion, Conrad, when he left office, there was, I don't know, 25 to 4,000 troops. They had air support. They were negotiating certain things and they could have been then there indefinitely. And that's and they were there presumably for the points you made, so that it didn't revert to a terrorist wasteland, a la Osama bin Laden in 2001. And second, we had all these people who invested in the West, and whenever that happens, 60,000 Taliban were more than a match for 300,000 uh, government troops that had to defend yeah. things, and the Taliban just had to destroy them. And that's the same thing in Vietnam and, and counterinsurgency. So we ne- we by helping people, we never really, we never on the other side of the desperate people who were willing to do almost anything. There were other things, too, that destroyed public support. You remember in 2000, I think it was 13, Obama got up to 100,000. We had 170, 50,000 NATO troops. He surged, yeah. though he, he announced. He said we were in the wrong war, right? We were in the yeah. wrong war in Iraq, and we needed and to we, go to Afghanistan. Yeah, that was the good war, and the Iraq right. was the bad war. And he, he announced they were coming home, even as he sent them, though. But my point is, when, when he then pulled them out, I think it was $5 billion in, in Humvees and uh, artillery pieces, sophisticated weaponry that we were, that were second generation that were too heavy to ship back, and we just left it there. I think we did, we either destroyed it or gave it to them, but it was a big story, multi-billion dollar write-off. And then I think it was Crocker or somebody said, we've got 40, 40% of all the money that we give for aid is uh, goes into the pockets of corrupt officials, and that's what we should have to expect. He wasn't condoning it. He was just saying, when you put so much money so quickly – you're not going to get the results you want in a country like Afghanistan. Iraq ended up being a disaster. It's really run, for the most part, by pro-Iranian people now, which is the last thing we wanted. Sorry, Bill. No, I just wanted to pick up on your uh, devil's advocate. I, I'm not sure the question is entirely do we care who governs so much as do we care what happens. And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure of this. I ask you guys help on this because I've heard a lot, of, a lot of arguments and a lot of things that apparently matter. One, we will have no base in South Asia. 
Uh, this clears it up for the Belt and Road Initiative, China. Uh, no obstacle there. Bagram Air Force Base is uh, very hard to duplicate. Um, the uh, No tender mercies toward the people who helped us, cooperated uh, with us, and I don't think we're going to get them all out. Women um, forget school and, and, and other things. And, you know, the, uh, the president keeps saying, both presidents say, well, I don't want to send any more uh, of our of our treasure over there to, to get killed. Not very many have been killed lately, but a fair number died earlier. And, 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 and it's a hard argument, isn't it, to say to the parents of those kids, um, we're, we're getting out. And that's the larger question, isn't it, which is how, how good's our word? And is, is 20 years enough to keep your word? Um, you know, as, as you know, America makes promises, says they'll be with you, but then, then they get impatient. That's just some of the arguments. No, I think you're right. I think there was a general consensus of just what you and Conrad said. 2,000, 4,000 troops, good intelligence, uh, an air power, uh, ground support for Afghan troops, and then the westernized Kabul, and et cetera. But I think a lot of the problem is that the politics changed. So you had the anti-war left that was not 50% of the Democratic Party. It is 100% of the Democratic Party. It's gone so far left that Biden doesn't really have a choice. There's nobody in the Democratic Party who's arguing what you just did or what Conrad and I did, which is all the same. Then second, the neoconservatives, which I supported going into Iraq, that's dead now. It's dead. There are prominent Republican neoconservatives. So you had the Nationalist Populist Party, and I think they were willing to go along with Trump's as a Jacksonian matter, that's not just what you said. It's national honor. We don't we keep our commitments. And they were Jacksonians. They were not interventionists or nation builders. You know, no better friend, no worse enemy. Don't screw around the United States. Don't tread on me. And, th- and in that sense of a Jacksonian, they were willing to put up with what Trump ended up with a few. And then finally, I think this is more controversial. I think a lot of Republicans and swing voters have really and radically switched uh, their ideas of what I would call the military-industrial intelligence complex. When they look at the career of Andrew McCabe and James Comey and Robert Mueller and James Clapper and John Brennan, and I would say the renegade generals who said that Trump was a Nazi or he was Mussolini or he had the photo op and he's sick to capital. <laughs> They've lost conservative support. General Miley, the woke, the chief of naval operations, Austin at defense, and going after so-called mythical white supremacists. They have lost a large core of conservative support for these institutions. And I think it's, and they're going after the, the, the foundation of the military, whether we like it or not, or rural working class whites, uh, sometimes inordinately south of Mason-Dixon line or from rural upstate New York or Central Valley of California and going after them and targeting them. And that's what they're doing. They're going to, I just looked at this, the fatality uh, percentages in Iraq and Afghanistan by class and race. And they, they run about 75% uh, middle-class white males. And that's not, I mean, you could say that whites are 68% of the population, but when you adjust it to class and male, you get down to a pretty small percentage. So they're way overrepresented in terms of fatalities in both of those wars. Having uh, taken the uh, devil's advocacy role, I I now wish to abandon it. I only did it as a theoretical thing. I I agree that what should have been done is, is to do the necessary, if this could be done, 
to to uh, I mean, basically, Mr. Nixon and Kissinger's position in Vietnam. I mean, the, the South Vietnamese defeated the North between Nixon's visit to China and his visit to Moscow and St. Peter or Leningrad. Uh, you know, they did defeat the, the, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong on the ground, but with very heavy air support. And if and the, I think it appears that that can be done on an acceptable cost basis. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind, I think, is when you pull out completely, as is apparently happening, if the regime collapses, you're into that Algerian situation where de Gaulle really had to admit not only the PNR, the Europeans, million people, but 10% of the population in Algeria, but another 10% of the Muslims in Algeria who had supported the French, who would have been massacred, supposedly, and probably. And, and that more than anything else, has created the Islamic problem in France today. Now, I, the numbers are different. The conditions are different. We've we, we got to watch that, too. If we're going to pull out completely, but say we have to protect our friends. You're going to end up with a, a significant alteration demographic. Let me ask you this, uh, back to what you're saying there and what, and what Victor just said, uh, noting what Victor, what you said about 100% of the Democratic Party now in regard to in regard to issues like this, and then the neocons aren't there. Nevertheless, there has not been this huge outcry or groundswell for withdrawal from Afghanistan, has there? No, because it was, you were right about that. There were a lot more people killed on Fourth of July, 150, than there were yeah, in Afghanistan yeah, yeah, in the yeah. last four months. And and as as to Conrad's point about air power, remember that's what Trump said he was going to do with ISIS. He was going to bomb the SHL, yeah. and it worked. He had advisors on the ground. We weren't bogged down in Syria. He had airstrikes. We cre- created deterrence, and we destroyed ISIS without getting into a asymmetrical ground war. So, I think we could have stayed with twenty five, three thousand, four thousand troops, and it would have been no more dangerous than walking in Baltimore, Chicago, or Los Angeles on a Saturday night. You bet. And, and, then, and then by withdrawing them, we lose all of the above, not to rehearse I it again. So. I think so. So it's and, a, bad, a bad idea. Yeah. Well, Victor, again, <clears throat> isn't there just a chance that the best trained of the government forces with heavy air support from just outside Afghanistan could carry on? I don't think so. No, I don't air, think anybody if thinks they had, so. If they had air support. But yeah, well, that's what I mean. But yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I I, I don't think so. One thing about the air campaign in uh, in Syria and parts of Iraq to kill ISIS off, if you look at some of the support group from Arab and NATO powers, for all their rhetoric, they were a little bit more aggressive as far as targeting, and that had an effect on us. So we did a lot of targeted assassinations. We we bombed pretty tough, and there was such a hatred of ISIS that the world in general was not going to say to American pilots, how dare you send that smart bomb into that, you know, city. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get that with the Taliban too, though. The world doesn't love the Taliban. No, they do not. So that's a good point. That's the point I was making. If they wanted to have air support and they really wanted to go after them. But I, I just think that it's tragic. I, I, I have mixed feelings about the whole thing, but I just, I think we're witnessing a revolution in the United States where when a man full of medals, gets in front of Congress, and he's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, or he's the chairman of naval operations, there is a natural, traditional American history to support him. But then when he starts saying that he recommends you read Kendi, or he's going through the ranks to adjudicate uh, ideological feeling on the basis of race, then you think that this is kind of a people's army, this is kind of a commissar system, and you're, and they're 
I don't know what anybody thought this out. They're destroying the very foundation of support because when the next time Elizabeth Warren says, hey, I want to go after those four stars who went back to, you know, they're going to Raytheon or General Dynamics or Lockheed or, you know, I want to cut the military budget. And, you know, I think a lot of conservatives are going to say, well, okay. Far back as I can remember in the polls, the most respected institution has been the military. You think still you think still you still is, but you, th- but you think, think that so. might diminish, might go down. The, the greatest single accomplishment of Jefferson as president was uh, to set up the uh, West Point and, and and to create a non-political officer corps. And and I'm afraid that this guy Millie is at least the figurehead of the people, as Victor says, responsible for putting that in jeopardy. I mean, when, when he pulled out and complained about the president walking to the president's church St. john's church and so forth I, that that was the politicization of the military and yeah. you know at, at the time of course the trump haters thought it was fabulous but the long-term implications of that kind of thing are extremely serious no they are and we had remember that that june 2nd 2020 fake narrative that trump had ordered tear gassing and unleashed the capitol police to clear the way so he could do a photo op that's that right. was what that had prompted all of these retired generals to write these op-eds and said Trump was Nazi-like and he was militarizing. And then when you look at the January 6 reaction, 20,000 troops, Bob wire, and yet no subsequent alt-right danger. And you think, wait a minute. So our retired military is saying, don't you dare, or accusing Trump of something he didn't do. And then when Biden did do that, or at least the federal bureaucracy in the last days of the Trump administration did it, the military was silent. Yeah. They had no yeah. they had no principal objection to militarizing the capital of the United States. It was just who were the who what was the ideology of the rioter? 120 days, two billion dollars, twenty-five dead, fourteen thousand arrests versus those few hours on January 7th. I'm not condoning it, but by any magnitude, the real existential threat was the summer and yet the military said don't dare use troops and then they were happy to see the capital militarized and and the response taking for example a friend of all of us laura ingram is cut the military budget well that's not the right response i mean i i think you're right victor that i don't know if she says that did she say that well she says it privately anyway but but the i mean the point is that you highlighted a very important fact and the end you know the antidote to that fact is to clean house in the higher ranks and get back to a non-political military but that's but the, worse, the danger is that the, the political response is to cut their budget but this is even worse conrad because if you were not an ideological military when donald trump for all of his bluster and you think for a minute he he went the extra mile to get an exemption to allow James Mattis to be Secretary of Defense. They had not right. done that. He got that. And then he made his chief of staff, another general, Kelly. And there was a big outcry that he was militarizing the administration. And everybody yeah. all and Flynn was the first national yes, security. Defense. Yes. And we came everybody came to his defense. Don't do that. And then he upped the military budget by what, eighty billion dollars? And he rebuilt it. And you would think that all of these military people would be, but instead, he has he goes across this, this burned out Saint Episcopalian church, and the next thing we know, four former Joint Chiefs, if you remember that, uh, Myers and Colin Powell and 
a couple of other ones. What do they do? They say, this is terrible. And the president is politicizing the office. And then Joe Biden resonates that and says, you know what? I'm so happy about those four joint chiefs. If Donald Trump doesn't get out, they're going to go in there and physically remove him. And that was, and they didn't say anything about that. In fact, you look at what McChrystal said. He was very critical. McCaffrey called Trump Mussolini. Mattis compared him to Nazi-like tactics on D-Day. Hayden, who was under a lot of criticism during the Bush administration for enhanced interrogation, started tweeting out pictures of Auschwitz to compare uh, Trump's border policies. And then we had a very distinguished Admiral McRaven who said, I think, quote, I think he should be gone sooner or later, even though we had an election coming up. What is that? This is kind of seven days in May, Curtis LeMay type of MacArthur talk. And so all of a sudden people listened to that and they said, wait a minute, these guys are either doing one of two things. They either are woke or their corporate consulting is dependent on a particular ideological stance or if they're still active, their promotion is based on not how many artillery shells in your battalion hit the target or how many carrier takeoffs uh, hit, hit the second cable on our landing, but what was the diversity profile and who did you promote? Yeah. And and you may, have- I, may I just raise two side points to that, uh, um, Bill? I hope they're not completely irrelevant. You, you mentioned General MacArthur. He never called for the overthrow of the government. He, took, he had policy no, no, he Truman, and he was wrong to go public with them with his insubordination. He yeah. should have either retired or just said it silently. I didn't say it. these guys were threatening to overthrow the government. But the fact is, MacArthur, he was, he was wrong to contradict the president publicly, but he was right strategically. The fact is, if they'd listened to him, we now know from what Gromico told Nixon that Stalin wouldn't have done anything and we wouldn't have had the North Koreans as a problem now. But the, the point I wanted to make that's more relevant to this is these are the same generals, the same admirals, who, who in this colossal cornucopia that the former President Trump gave them to bring the armed forces right up to the mark, failed, as I understand it, to produce, which they had the budget to do, a proper defense against hypersonic conventional missiles. So we've, we've got the, you know, we've got the Nimitz-class carriers sitting out there like uh, really like the battleships on Battleship Row at Pearl Harbor. I mean, they're vulnerable just well, because wanna, these, these generals and admirals didn't spend the money right. Well, I think also, if you want to be really brutally honest, they have to go back and revisit what people had said in the 1970s, that you cannot draw secretaries of defense from the corporate defense contractor boards and then you cannot, you have to have some period of waiting. So a person does not leave a four-star rank and go right back to Raytheon or Lockheed or General Dynamics. And then on the idea that they are going to utilize his expertise in the labyrinth of Pentagon contractual. Well, uh, this is Eisenhower's farewell speech. No, it was. And, 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 and he's and, right. Yeah. No, Eisenhower went through it, not just the industrial. He went through the whole thing in that speech. Yeah. Uh, and I think he was right. He's right on a lot of things. Let's move on uh, if we can. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see if this prediction holds true. We'll see if the public continues to support. So are we having, are we going to see a kind of popular uprising? Are we seeing a popular uprising on this issue, this issue of crime? Democrats tried to sell the idea that, you know, they were not for defunding the police. That went nowhere. The public's not buying that. Even it is interesting, isn't it? Even with the media blackout and the media support of uh, of Biden and the policies, public understands uh, who's on who's on whose side. Yeah. 
it's a losing issue. If you look at uh, internal Democratic polls, I think Future Majority was published the other day. Uh, crime and the border, Biden gets killed on those issues. 40% yeah. in a recent poll said of liberal, liberal San Francisco, they want to leave San Francisco. And then you have these iconic moments where these youth just get out of cars. They walk right in, not to yeah. Walgreens or Target, but to Neiman Marcus. And Neiman Marcus there. now, yeah. And they're not stealing, you know, flour and uh, beef. They're stealing upscale Gucci bags and stuff. And then they go yeah. off and $25,000 handbags. Yeah. 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 So people are saying if, if this continues, uh, you don't have a society because you don't have any semblance. And then I went to Seattle not too long ago and I was in a hotel and these intersections have become sort of racing where people just spin brodies in circles every night with impunity in these major cities. And I think a lot of Americans are saying, oh, wait a minute, I, I was very angry about George Floyd. I was willing, but let, let's stop a minute. Yeah. This anti-Asian crime wave was largely uh, not white racism, but disproportionately African-American males. The sure. majority of people, are, and we were told, i.e. America, every, of all different races, that if we had African-American city councils and if we had African-American mayors and district attorneys and police chiefs, then this problem would be, uh, it would be addressed because the white community didn't understand. I'm not talking about root causes and all that. I'm just talking about immediate. And I think a lot of Americans fairly, and I'm not trying to editorialize, I'm just saying that when you have this level of crime coupled with elite, elite uh, attacking Americans founding its history, its tradition, turning their back on the national anthem. And these are people like, I mean, these are people and they can be Meghan Markle, they can be Oprah, they can be anybody. It's very different. When I grew up, I don't know if you remember Conrad or Bill, we would read these sort of authentic growing up in the ghetto, really tough stuff. Uh, Soul on Ice by Eldridge Cleaver yeah. or Manchild in the Promised Land. I think and autobiography of Malcolm X. And now when you look at who's alleging racism, Mr. Kendi or Cornell West or Mr. Tanahitsi uh, Coates, these are products of stable, basically stable families, upper middle class, successful, and yet they are, they are much more for a separation or a tribalism than the old uh, yeah. integrationist assimilationist model. I want to stay. I, I want to stay if we could for the, in the fire in the streets because we're still. It's early July. Yeah. And we've got July and August, and um, I'm very, very worried. Really worried about the police situation. Forty-five percent increase in retirement, um, and you know, can we use all this money that was sent, uh, you know, to the states uh, to hire police? We see these fifty thousand uh, dollar job offers for. Uh, young kids uh, to, you know, to take over a chicken wing place, you know, to be going to training. What about uh, instead of defunding the police, refunding the police, re-incentivizing by offering better salaries, recruitment, a national drive to recruit police, or we're just not, not going to have it. I mean, cumulative effect of all these retirements, plus what's going on in the head of a lot of police 
uh, people, uh, people I've talked to. Well, you know, we're just not responding to the calls. You know, we're just, yep. you know, just taking our so they're time. They're in danger of, of being accused of, uh, you know, excessive use of force, no matter what they do. Are we close to an emergency here? In these, I think we are. These I cities, that, I think we But, I think but we isn't are this too. election in New York, I mean, it's practically it's an election, electing yeah. a policeman. I mean, it, it, doesn't that show that's where the public is? Well, I, I know that when we talk about they or we, the African-American, the minority community, the middle-class white community is in agreement with everything everything's been said here. This is primarily a wealthy, upper-class white idea of people who live in very secure neighborhoods. I was talking to a law enforcement. He said, you know, the problem with this, it's a lose, 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 lose situation. And by that, he means you get a call to a crime area. It's in this part. It would be a bad part of Fresno or the town I live in. So do you go into a domestic situation? If you do and you use excessive force, you're gone because people are going to be filming you and right. you swear. Right. What, if you don't use it and they feel you're afraid, you can get killed or you can be shot and wounded. Or if you're not shot and you're not wounded <laughs> and you make a ses- successful arrest and you don't use excessive force and you don't lose your temper, then there's a good chance that the DA won't back you and say, you know what, this is just a minor crime and let the person go. So then the fifth alternative is you hear that call and you say, oh, wow, I didn't hear anything. And then you say, well, maybe a minority officer who is better acclimatized to a, a marginalized community can go. And this person was speaking to me as a minority as a minority officer, then people say, well, wait a minute, all of you white officers are putting us in harm while you get to go to the nice white yeah. enclave. So it's a lose-lose for everybody involved until somebody stands up and says, we're going to recreate police deterrence. And it's a tough job. And I think the underclass is for it in the inner city. The middle class uh, voter is for it. But not the but well, there, isn't that sort of what Adams are, said in New York? I mean, I mean, he, he didn't win a shattering victory, but presumably the Democratic candidate will win the election. And had, didn't he pretty much say that that it's time to get serious about crime? Kevin Drum had a good article the other day, and he basically said, "I'm for all the stuff that we're doing, but we got to realize that when we promote all of this stuff, we it's not the Republican Party that's moved right. The Republican Party, if anything, has moved." a little bit to the left under Trump. It's us who have moved far, far to the left, and that's okay, but we're going to lose. And who said that? Kevin Drum, the oh. left-wing uh, yeah, okay. author. I mean, he's been very critical of me in the past, but sometimes he, he, he's empirical. I think he's, what he's saying is if you look at this incremental hemorrhaging uh, in Miami of Cuban-American voters or of Hispanic voters in parts of Texas or parts of uh, some black voters, I think they're very worried that these issues like an open border and crime uh, well, or transgenderism turn off a lot of their constituents. Maybe that's ground for hope, but it seems to me, you know, the good news in a lot of these things where you're talking about crime, I want to talk a little bit about schools. And I think I told you guys last time for 25 years when I give speeches and people would say, what do we do about education? I'd say run for the school board. And they'd laugh and I'd say, no, it's really, it's where the action is, really. It's where the rubber hits the road. Well, now we're seeing these school boards. But whether you're talking about that or the crime thing, and you were hitting at it, Victor, 
I mean, the numbers are there. The, the popular uprising is there. The vast majority of Americans are there. But uh, I, I guess it matters more whether you control the institutions, does it? Who wins in the end? If you control the universities, the foundations, the media, uh, the White House, uh, at least half of the Congress, entertainment. Uh, and entertainment, and 70%, tell me my numbers right or wrong, of the American people are opposed to virtually everything you're doing whether it comes to the border or crime or education, who prevails here? So the public will eventually. See, it will. Here, it will. Here, I think Trump has actually been the leading figure in, I mean, for all his uh, uh, infelicities in some ways, uh, he, he, he mobilized the public that nobody realized was there. The media certainly didn't. Nobody okay. thought he could beat okay. Hillary Clinton. And and he, as we all know, he's changing the demographic of the Republican Party. And as far as I can see, in, in their in, in their jubilation of defeating him, and they had, in my opinion, to resort to very questionable vote counting methods to do it, uh, the Democrats are like children have broken into a candy store. They aren't doing the right things. They're going to be swamped by the things we've talked about, uh, the two million illegal immigrants a year. Uh, 100% increases in violent crime all around the country and and inflation that, as Victor said a couple of our podcasts ago, is really at around 8 or 9%. And, and they are not doing anything to stop any of it. They're pretending it isn't happening. I'm most interested in your opening. You said the public will prevail. You, yeah, do, you believe that? You were telling these people to run for... Uh, for the school boards, sort of the way Tocqueville said, that's the strength of America. I think the mayor, the election in New York is that way. These polls that show people in very liberal cities want to leave and they've given up hope is a good sign. And uh, it's not sustainable. And the odd thing is when you look at these polls of each particular issue, what a lot of people were worried on the right is Joe Biden, given his want of plagiarizing, would just come in like he did with a COVID issue and say, I did it all. And then just absorb and take credit for Operation Warp Speed and do nothing new. And that's what he did. And he that's the one issue that he polled uh, above 50%. But all the rest of them were solved. All he had to do was say, this is my border policy. Yeah. And tweak it a little bit. And he would have been fine. All he had to do is keep pumping that natural gas and oil and talk about solar. He would have been fine. Stay out of uh, the Paris Climate Accord, the Iran deal, continue with China. But he didn't do it. And he, it was all there. And what people voted for was the Trump agenda without the Trump veneer or tweeting. And Biden was once he made that Faustian bargain with the left, I guess he was he had no choice, but he, he just he's self-destructing. I, I, unless he can do what Mitron did, you know, when he was first elected Federation of the Left and most of his voters were communists and he brought four communists into the government and put them in second rate ministries. And then when, it, when, it, when everything started to now look, Mitron's got three times the IQ of Biden. But uh, when, uh, you know, when it all went horribly wrong. He fired the communists, blamed it all on them, and destroyed the French Communist Party. I mean, he no, did Biden, that, not the goal. Biden won't do that. No, I, I'm no. afraid he won't, but that's what you no. should do. But you guys are optimistic in the in the medium run and the long run, 22, well, 24? 22. I had yesterday, I, I, I was on a format with Kevin McCarthy, and it was about the 22 elections. And he went on in great depth about the quality of Republican candidates, military veterans, minorities, working class people that reflected the MAGA agenda. And 
uh, how vulnerable a lot of Democrats are and how people didn't really see the 2010 Tea Party 63-seat gain. And I think a lot of people are just, my read on it is, if you talk to people and read, I, I think a lot of people are stewing. They're just absorbing this and absorbing this and absorbing this, kind of like Jimmy Carter. Remember Ronald Reagan in uh, 79 when they had polls? He was way behind Jimmy Carter. Yeah. And he was yeah. behind him in March of 80. Yeah, and then that, uh, and he he caught up, and then I think people were just that, that was the the hostage. But, but, yeah, but, but, but yeah. you, no, but, but it was also the stagflation and the interest too. Is it an echo echo chamber then that keeps the left going? I mean, I think so. It, okay, because I, I, I don't think talking... I, don't, I don't think they're aware of it. I think you're going to see just a spontaneous. Been there, done it. I'm done with these people in the. Uh, in the midterm election. And, and also, Bill, you know, the, the fact is they ran against Trump. They, they did nothing but sling muck out. Sure. They had 95% of the media supporting them. They, out, they had twice as much money to spend in the election as Trump. And it was all, this man is a monster. He's got to go. And, and the terror campaign on COVID. They don't have any of that now. They are naked to their enemies and they're going to get massacred. Yes, right. I, I think you're right. COVID's fading. They have two issues. You're right. It was Trump and COVID. COVID, for all their hysteria, we are developing herd immunity visa, natural immunity and vaccinations. And Trump can't, he can't, he can't tweet, he can't post, he can't do anything. He's not, he's not in everybody's face. Look at, we can see these little indicators, Bill, with, look at CNN and MSNBC's ratings. They just collapsed. No. Okay. Because all people right. tuned in there just to get their anti-Trump dose, but not all the right. positive agenda they have. So not to feel bad that the nation's two largest teacher unions said, the hell with you, <laughs> American people. We're going to teach this stuff, and if you don't like it, too bad. We're going to go to court. I think it makes it easier to decertify the unions and smash the state school system. And all of our Western countries have to yeah. do that. Yeah. I mean, the greatest irony of our civilization to me, I'm getting into Hansonian territory where I'm little qualified, but is that as a civilization, all of these countries, Canada, France, Britain, all of us, we spend more and more and more on education and get dumber and dumber people. Yeah, they do. Because it's therapeutic. Only so many hours in a day. And when you're talking about critical race theory or this group or that. Correct. Chinese or not. Daycare centers anyway. Chinese or not. Tonight, Chinese number one in math with number 26. Okay, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you very much. That does it for today's show. Want to join the discussion? Email this show at scholarsandsensepodcast at gmail.com. Share the show with your family and friends. Subscribe, rate, review. For Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson, I am Bill Bennett, and we'll talk again soon.